program continues on Talk of the Town. It is left, right, and center because it is Wednesday, and it's 1107, 57, That's the reason. whatever it is, yes. And it's at that time of the week, we uh, tend to, uh, we like to get together with a couple of uh, friends in the studio and discuss issues of the day. Today, those friends include, and in fact encompass, Marion Boyd and Robert Mattson. It's nice to have both of you here today. Nice to see you, Jim. Um, I want to, with your kind permission take a look at an issue that I think is important. I really do believe this is important to everyone. I, I think people have different views on what we ought to do about it. But it's the issue of not only homelessness in Canada, but the issue of people who have difficulty finding decent decent housing. Um, and, and let me say that I do have a, perhaps not surprising, I have an opinion about this. I think that um, given I've seen in my 50 years, and uh, uh, 25 of those years I've been a landlord. I think that uh, there's no question in my mind that there are problems in providing affordable, decent housing for people. And I believe that, that we do have a responsibility to do that. However, I'm not real happy with too much of what any of the governments have done of, of, any, of any parties. And, I, and I'll tell you why, because it seems to me whatever the various approaches we've tried they've inevitably cost us a ton of dough and at the end of the day I'm not sure that we've accomplished a whole lot we still have a serious problem and and statistics tell us that the number of people who need access to this have been ri rising slowly but not it hasn't been exploding out of all you know ability to deal with it um, so it seems to me that what we've what we've been doing in terms of, of actually building units and 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 uh, you know special funding arrangements and now the the uh, the meeting last night about homelessness in the city or about uh, affordable housing, they were talking calling for at least some of the people were suggesting perhaps uh, special government uh, interest rates for people who build low income housing etc etc etc, and I guess across the board my big problem with that is ultimately it seems to me a it costs us way more money than it than it ought to I think, and b. I'm really worried about the ghettoization of, of people, and not, not necessarily even in a geographical sense, but perhaps in a, in a, even in a, more in a philosophical sense, that, that somehow if you're living in, in, in uh, low-rent or affordable housing units, uh, there should be no shame in that, but there is for some people, and there's a stigma attached to that. And I wonder if somehow that isn't kind of self-defeating in the whole thing we're trying to start out in the first place, which is to try to afford people some, some uh, basic level of amenities in their lives, the idea being that if we get them to that point, then we hope they're going to look and say, I want more, and they're going to get out and compete, and they're going to get whatever they need to, to, you know, to, to fulfill their lives. Mm. So my suggestion and it has always been, and I throw it out for discussion with the two of you, I would much prefer to see the government, if we're going to do this, I'm not going to argue whether we should or shouldn't, although maybe you do want to argue about that. I think we should. If the government is going to do this, would it not make more sense simply to set up some kind of system of subsidies and say to individuals who are in need of this kind of help, we will, you go and find, obviously within reason, the housing that you, that you, where you want to live, or perhaps you're already there and your circumstances have changed, you don't want to leave, and we are going to subsidize you to the extent necessary. Now, we're not going to, I don't think it's a wise idea to so say you put in $10, we'll put in 90 that kind of an idea. But rather than spend money to build units or, or uh, all of that sort of morass that I think we've gotten into, why not just, and now just is not the right word because it just implies it's simple to do, and I know it wouldn't be simple, but wouldn't that be 
the easiest, most sensible, and most productive way to do it, because then the people with this specific need would not be ghettoized, would not be, uh, the address wouldn't, you know, oh, you live there, and none of that would happen. They'd live everywhere. They'd live all over the place among the society as a whole, and they would benefit from the interaction with society as a whole. What's, is there anything wrong with that? Now, Robert, I'll turn to you. Uh, maybe you disagree with my basic premise that we should be doing it in the first place. I don't know. Well, I'm I'm a believer in private charity, of course, but but given the other other way of looking at it and looking at what the government should and should not be doing, I certainly agree with you. It was most inappropriate to uh, slap the responsibility on landlords through all sorts of regulations and rent control and issues of that nature. Uh, I'd, I'd been arguing from the beginning that if government's going to help people who cannot afford something, that you direct the help to those people, not to the industry to which they are being serviced by. You know, like, you don't take over the rental accommodation industry because you want to help the poor. You have to direct help to the poor and then make up the difference between what they can afford and what they can't and find out why that situation exists. And I mean, there has to be some kind of screening process going on all the time. And I know a lot of uh, government programs don't like to do that type of thing. But, you know, you're talking about affordable housing, and the big question I always have to ask is affordable to who? At what standard? To, to anybody? To somebody who doesn't make any money? No housing is affordable. Uh, you have to be very careful with these terms. And, and to me, as long as you've got uh, one person spending another person's money for a third cause, you really don't have any control of the situation. Marion, what about your point of view? You've been very involved in this issue, both as a, as a government member and just as an active uh, private citizen. Well, I, I believe, as you do, Jim, that it's, it's in the best interest of all of us in our community to make sure that every citizen has access to safe and, and, and standard uh, a, a decent standard mm. of of uh, of housing. Uh, Robert's last comment seemed to be saying if people don't earn money, then they can't afford housing, then they shouldn't have a home. And I don't agree. No, with that. I, I was saying that you direct the help to those people, not to not to the okay. home builders and the and the landlords and that I type of thing. I don't think there's any one answer. And uh, the Golden Report that came out in Toronto, that uh, where Ann Golden, who, as the head of the United Way there, had gone into this in some detail, said that there's no one solution because there are different kinds of homelessness. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about people who need supported housing, these are people, for example, people who are going to be released from our, our uh, psychiatric hospitals yes. and so on. You need a different kind of housing for them than you do for someone who is simply low income. You need different housing for people who have children than you do necessarily for singles. And that what we have to do is to really look at a range of possibilities. Now, Golden certainly recommended the rent supplement that you're talking about um, and, uh, and, and also saw that as being exactly as you say, people living among us in our communities without stigmatization. When we were in government, one of the things we tried to do was to to get uh, uh, legalize existing basement apartments and, mm -hmm. and attic apartments and so on and and encourage infill in in our cities mm -hmm. encourage people with smaller families to look at the possibility of part of their house being used as an apartment by somebody else mm -hmm. because there's a lot of potential there and one of the reasons we wanted to legalize those those apartments was to bring them under the regulation, both in terms of standards for mm -hmm. housing and in terms of rent control. Um, I don't think we want to do rent supplements unless there's some control on the ability of landlords to simply price them out of 
out of existence. And I know you and I have had discussions before on the issue of rent control. But I think if we as taxpayers are going to be paying a rent supplement, we have to be sure that the kind of housing that we're helping someone pay for is a decent has a decent standard and that it's not being it, we're not being grossly overcharged. Well, that's what, what always happens. leads us into the government taking everything over because they feel that they have to control the price, which is an impossibility to begin with. And however you control it, you do it at the expense of something else, either higher taxes, lower jobs available for people. Uh, I, I mean, when you're looking at a situation, I, first of all, I don't think you can mix people who come from psychiatric backgrounds and children with low income. These are two separate categories. I think when you're dealing with psychiatric people, you're dealing with a larger and broader medical issue and that, that it's not a housing issue per se. Mm -hmm. So let's stick to the low income. It, it may be well, a housing issue. Well, it is a housing issue. It's a housing issue almost by default. Though, yes. Uh, if, you look at, if you look at the numbers of people who are homeless who also have serious mental health problems, yeah. they're totally disproportionate among the homeless yeah. population. But, 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 if, we, so, but if, if, we, if we were funding more adequately or using the resources more efficiently, yes. many of those people would not be tossed exactly. into the well, I, guess, exactly I guess what right. I'm saying from, from the government's point of view is I would put those people in the health care budget, not in the housing budget. Let's put it that way. And that the housing budget would be strictly for, for income situations so that uh, we aren't you know, mixing the two and, and, and not having a standard again. We're always escaping the standard that we have to have. I'm not sure I uh, disagree with that, Robert, as long as we understand that they shouldn't have to depend on being compliant in terms of medication in order to have a home because that's the big issue for a lot of people in in but how do we with get, mental but health how do we issues. get around that though Mary I mean isn't it we, we know that for many people who who become problems not only for for the community but are problems primarily for themselves to start Absolutely. with that that non-compliance is a great issue with them and and we know that that if they do comply with it and we also know that in fact that when they are taking their medication that they they generally understand and appreciate the importance of doing so and yet there are people that saying we shouldn't we shouldn't even be trying to 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 to, to set up a mechanism that would and i hate the word but how do you get around enforce compliance and yet why wouldn't we do that i mean we enforce compliance with a variety of other rules and strictures in our society. So if you want to, you know, if you want to drive, you have to have a license, you want to do this, you have to do that. Well, what's wrong in here? Or is there anything inherently wrong with saying, if you want to be part of our program and you want to get out of there, you, you, you must agree to take the meds. And if you don't take the meds, then you're going to lose these yeah, it's privileges. it's a two-way street. It's not a one-way forcing the person to do it. You, you do this and then you get this as a benefit. And I think as we improve the medications, you're going to find the compliance uh, is changed dramatically. Just last, uh, I think it was in March, uh, three new major drugs came onto the formulary for the Ontario Drug Benefit Plan, which have totally different effects on people. I mean, the side effects of some of the medications that control people's behavior are quite serious, yes, and that's, yes, the, that's, and that's the main root of yes. non-compliance. Yeah. These newer drugs that are coming along are more expensive initially, but they have they have very uh, mild side effects compared to some of the older drugs, and and it's quite clear. And I think if you talk to the people from the uh, PAC team, for example, that where people are on medications where the side effects are not disproportionate to the good effects, mm -hmm. uh, that people are much more likely to be compliant. They're also much more likely to be compliant if they have safe, clean housing. Mm -hmm. um, people on the street. Uh, people who, who are terrified all the time that they're going to lose their housing, people who are living in substandard housing. It's a survival 
mechanism. It, it's very hard if you're concentrating on just staying alive. Wouldn't ownership be the answer to that? Wouldn't, wouldn't some form of ownership be a key to a person, first of all, tying themselves to their property and wanting to maintain it because it has a value to them? even if you're helping them with it. That's what Margaret Thatcher did when she took over in Britain many years ago. She privatized all kinds of public housing and actually let the people who lived in the housing own it. And well, apparently it improved a heck of a lot of the situations. Well, and created a lot of homelessness as well for those who couldn't afford to buy their homes. But, but co-op housing, co-op housing is a similar kind of a thing. There's real evidence that co-op housing for people who had had no possibility in their own minds of having any, any sense of ownership mm -hmm. in a home. Mm -hmm. Co-op housing where people are participating in the running of that housing, they're making decisions and so on, is one of the best leaping off points for people to then be able to move into a, a home ownership situation themselves because they learn how to do it. We forget that there are many, many people who've never lived in a situation where they lived in a private home. They don't know all of the things that come along with home ownership, and they need to be taught. And one of the, one of the things around co-op housing, and in some nonprofit housing, they, they have people participating to a, to a similar extent, although it's not quite the same kind of responsibility because mm -hmm. you're not part of a corporation that's actually owning it. But I, I, think, I think there are different methods for different people. Someone who is finding it hard to to even understand how to pay their bills would not find that necessarily helpful. They'd find that a pressure. Mm -hmm. But someone who is who is wanting to learn that and wanting to be part of a of, of that sort of thing can benefit. And that's why I say I think we need different forms of possibilities for people. Are we are we doing a disservice? And I put this to either or both of you, after I remind listeners that our uh, live in studio email is open to you. Um, and our special only while we're on the air address is jchapman at imessaging.net. And I have the little unit right in front of me. In fact, we've got a comment here from Greg that we'll be getting to in a moment or two. But if you do want to comment via email, this brings you right into the studio. Uh, it's jchapman at imessaging.net. Are we doing a disservice to the high-risk people, the, me the mental pa patients, former mental patients, by even talking about trying to improve um, the housing available to them, when in fact it's a much more complex issue than the housing per se, and in fact it's an issue that I'm convinced that the, gov the government is very culpable in. I mean, that we've created the situation of putting these people out there. Are we, I mean, and I acknowledge we've got to do something because there's some horror stories. And Marion, you've been in these places. I've been in, 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 in these, two or three years ago we did a story about it and went to some of these places that were just beyond belief. Mm -hmm. Not only because they, they were substandard, they were no standard, but these people were paying close to rents for which they could have rented decent housing somewhere else. Absolutely. So, so obviously there's a problem. The problem isn't just that they didn't have enough money because in some in some cases they did have enough money. Which is exactly my point, uh, Jim, that rent supplements without standards, without controls, uh, people will be taken advantage well, I don't of, know about, I don't know about controls, but I wonder whether we should be, again, while we try to make sure these people are not being abused right now, should we be taking some of the effort and energy that we're putting into, even at a discussion today, to talk about, about housing for that particular group of people and directing that back at the powers that be and saying this this we shouldn't be dealing with this problem this is not the problem 
the problem is these people don't either don't belong in the in the in the community in the first place, or they should not be put in a community without adequate support. And if if you're not going to provide us with the support, then let's then let's talk about that. That's the one you got to wear. Sure. Don't be throwing it to us on on it that it's a housing issue. I don't disagree with you, and that's why I say you have to separate that out. That's a supportive housing issue, and that is a different issue from simply the issue of people who have low income haven't been able to find their home. We have to pause for a moment. 643-1290 is the telephone number, star 1290 on the Cantel. If you have any thoughts on this, how we deal with this very real issue for many, many people, perhaps you think the government should expand its uh, its so-called low-income housing or reinstitute some of the programs that have been ended. Uh, perhaps like me, you think we should, and I think Bob, and maybe to a certain extent Marion as well, we should be subsidizing people in a controlled manner to allow them to live basically where they want within the con text of their income, if you understand what we're saying. None of us are saying, give them $90 if they've got 10 so they can live in a penthouse. That's not the idea. Or maybe you have another idea on how we could best do this to take care of those among us who need help. 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. It's left, right, and center on 1290 CJBK. It's Talk of the Town, left, right, and center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. And we do have an email here from Greg. He said, I continue to believe that it makes the most sense to introduce a guaranteed annual income. Eliminate the multitude of programs and the costs associated with each and manage it via Revenue Canada. So there's another thought today. And if you want to join us by through the magic of email, it's jchapman at imessaging.net. Marianne, I want to come back to something we talked about earlier, and that was the, because um, you kind of, you nodded your head when I was talking about this, about the, the danger, I think, of ghettoization. Even if, even if literally, literally it doesn't happen, if there are nice units and so on and so on and so on, there's still this perception and there's a mindset, I think, some people that kind of might end up there. Um, there have been some negative examples in Toronto where we've kind of proven that this doesn't work for well. Although it was set out to do it with the, with the best of intentions, that's, you know, we, we need affordable housing. It's cheaper to put the units together than to put them all over the place and let's do that and, and everybody will be so grateful they've got a nice place to live that it will be a nice place to live and so on and so on. And in fact, I think what we see there, and I don't know whether you agree with me or not, what, I think what we often see there is the one bad apple scenario. One bad apple can spoil a whole bunch, and you can get one family or a couple of bad families or some kids out of control, and they kind of infect the other, and suddenly you've got problems way beyond what you ever intended or, or expected to deal with. And and the stigmatization issue is, is, yeah. is a major yeah. one. Oh, there, you, you, oh know. you live there, You live in you? the project, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Certainly it's not just Toronto. I mean, it's most major cities where there has been this kind of thing. If you look at most of the American cities, the, 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 the real problems when you, when you get a wise people, when you, you put them uh, only in a, in a setting where the only people that they see are are people who are in similar dire circumstances. Mm. It's a downward spiral. But aren't, that's aren't why we mixed housing here, is a much better idea. But how much choice does a person who's getting the assistance have, have in this matter? Uh, it sounds like we're all pegging these people as though they're just some physical object that we can, well, well, we'll put this person over here and mix this person over here as though they don't make any choices in this whole process. And I, and I find it difficult to believe that there are that many people out there who can't write a check and don't understand the nature of a contract or find that paying a mortgage is that much more difficult than paying rent. Uh, I just don't believe it. You have to have uh, a down payment, Robert. You have to have credit in order to, to pay a mortgage. 
Uh, we're talking about people. Uh, well, we're is, assuming if, you, the, if the government helped people in to get into that situation, that you're saying it's too stressful, assuming that all those things are in place. And, I'm, and if they're not in place, I, I don't think everyone is entitled to a certain level of housing if they're totally incapable of, of exercising their their ownership rights with respect to the housing. If, you know, somebody has to take care of people like that. I think mostly you've been talking about people who are uh, with psychiatric problems and no. issues like that because the, the arguments that you've given don't, to me, apply to just people without income who otherwise can get along in life. So I mean, you're suggesting that what government should do is pay the down payment no, no. On, on, on pe for people to own homes? Or what are you suggesting? Well, if you're, if you're going to have public housing, it should be pri the people living in it should own it. That's the way I look at it. But Maybe how are they going to own it, Robert? I well, mean, tell they it, transfer what's the title to them, and then they pay the government the mortgage, so to speak. Only it might not be called a mortgage. It might be based on income, the payments to, that they can make. Well, that's part of the... And, 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 that's, that's sort of the, the idea behind Habitat for Humanity. Mm -hmm. The notion that if you if you build it for people and then the money that they would have been paying in rent they pay in mortgage and they're responsible for that and so on. I and think it it's has a much worked, more positive. It has worked very well. For my own, um, I'm at. I'm a great fan of Habitat for mm -hmm. Humanity and I think it has made a huge difference and I think that's one of those answers in terms of infill housing on lots. The, it, Habitat for Humanity has been an enormously successful program. It gets the community involved. People feel good about building homes. The families participate in the building. They get they mm -hmm. get some mm -hmm. say it's modest housing. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, we're not talking we're not talking very fancy here, but it's built for the size of family that it's for, and so on. And I think it is a good idea. I'd like to see a lot more of that done, but I don't think it's the answer for everybody. Um, if you if you say to somebody who is living from month to month that you want them somehow to assume a debt like a like a, a mortgage mm. it, it, they, they, they just they just they just simply say I, I my circumstances have changed every year for five six seven years I can't be sure that I'm not going to lose everything if I go this way and and that's the same with student loans frankly where, yeah. but it's the same problem that enormous debt thing becomes a problem and it isn't isn't so seen the, the way you how, see how, how do you how do you see the the mechanism then working like what suppose that i'm a person in need of assistance and i and i request x assistance you're not just going to give me what i ask just because i asked for it no so obviously there's some kind of mechanism or control at the government level that's going to prescribe what kind of assistance is available where people are going to be put uh, how well, going not, not with rent supplement. That's not true. Yeah. With rent um, supplement, people know they have a certain amount of money to pay on their rent, and they go out and find... But even there, suppose I live in a $1,000 a month apartment, and I want to live in a $1,500 a month apartment. Well, does does that mean I, I qualify no, for a $500 supplement? As I said earlier, no. I, this, you know, it's, it's easy to say we're going to set up the system. It, obviously, right. it would it's be difficult. Easy. But no, but we acknowledge, I acknowledge that in, in where I'm coming from. I acknowledge it's not easy, but I think it could be dealt with. And, and, and no, I don't think you want to go from 1000 to 1500 obviously. What's the Look, point we're really of that? Talking, we're really talking four to $500 maximum yeah. in terms of, of rent supplements at this point in time. We're not talking about anything like $1,000. We're talking about people well, who... Well, a four, a four to $500 rent supplement would fill the gap between 1000 and the 1500 I was you, asking for. Well, no, but they wouldn't get it if, <laughs> if they had the thousand, Why would you get it? Let's yeah. go to the phones now. 643-1290 is the telephone number. Star 1290 on the Cantel, and John has been waiting very patiently. Thank you, John. Oh, good morning, sir. With respect to public housing, I think I'm more, with the greatest of respect, more than qualified to pass comments on it. 
as to why the hinges and the wheels have dropped off. Public housing uh, back in the 70s, it was based on income. And the tragedy of the whole process was that if a person living in public housing uh, bettered their condition as far as salary was concerned, in other words, they bettered their work situation, mm -hmm. whereby they uh, received a higher income than what they'd received the year before, yep. then they were immediately penalized. That's right. And I used uh, how, to how, were, how were they penalized, John? They were penalized in as much as that the rents went up. Mm -hmm. Now, it was based on the formula, in, in, a, in a sense, rightly so in one sense, but, uh, you know, disastrous in another, in as much that you paid according to your income. But did it go up, like, would but your rent go up as much as the increase in your income, or dollar was it a percentage? Dollar, dollar, dollar for, for dollar. Well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it went up for dollar for dollar. Where's the There's no and, incentive and then. And so the incentive for people to get out uh, was scrubbed by um, yeah. a rule or a regulation which was not, in my estimation, conducive with the needs of the people. Mm -hmm. Namely, I had suggested some 30 years ago when I was in public housing, look, there are many people who don't even have public housing who are possibly more in need. Therefore, why don't they come up with a formula whereby your previous year's salary was not taken into consideration for the following year, and you had a, a year to at least try and build up a, a down payment for a home of your own. Mm -hmm. The only way you could do that, and I will freely concede is exactly what I did, was that I kept my salary secret for a whole year, mm -hmm. built up enough for a down payment, and I got the hell out. Mm -hmm. But the point is this, as far as Mr. Metz is concerned, he always reminds me when I hear him going on of those who know the least of others think the highest of themselves. And it's a sad situation. When housing was built in this city, public housing, out at Cascade, out at Southdale, out at Bully Street, and... Um, John, uh, what was it that I said that made you think of that quote? Because you seem to indicate, sir, that whilst you're fortunate enough to be able to look after your own affairs, may have the education, may have the knowledge... Well, you're making a lot of assumptions. Wait a minute. To better your condition, which is an instinctive desire of most people to do, but you imply that the other side who can't do that, there's something wrong with them. No, and that's I wasn't what saying I that at all. Insulting. I wasn't saying that at all. I was but referring to people that Marion Boyd specifically brought up who, who do have something wrong with them. The personality out of it, as far as that is concerned. Well, it's a little late I, for that, John. Well, okay, then I apologize for saying it. But I speak from, how shall we say, I'm a North Country man. Well, okay, John. I call uh, a spade a spade. Okay, I've got other people waiting, so well, quickly, if you yeah, would. Okay, well, with respect to Marion's comment with regards to housing, and what we invariably happens is that the society itself takes advantage of those who are less fortunate. I have, I remember one house... Of uh, John, no, John, just, uh, John, do you have a point to make? Because I do no, have people I, waiting. I, to I find myself agreeing with what, a lot of what John's saying mm -hmm. here. You know, he, he said that, that, you know, that public housing is not concerned with the needs of the people. Well, this is a big... Public housing, let's face it, it's become a racket in this country today. Um, it has displaced the private market. Um, social activists use it to get government funding so that they can do a lot of social engineering with it. And this is exactly what, what has oh, become of Robert. the whole system. I know of several examples. I can cite you the Elioth example here in London. I can cite you Andrew Falby's situation in Sarnia, which uh, now all the local politicians are telling the government, keep your public housing out of here. You're ruining our economy. 
this is not a one-sided coin that we can just go and run into it with government assistance and think there aren't any other bad consequences. The, situa the situation was, as far as the authority was concerned, as far as the system was concerned, was that even when the people in public housing were entitled to the rent rebate, every maneuver was made to deny them of it. And that builds up a sense of resentment amongst the people whereby they don't care. No, that's a good point, John. I'm afraid I do have to leave it there, sir. Thank you for joining us, and Bill's been waiting patiently. Hi, Bill. Hi. Um, to do what you were talking where, you know, like giving them a subsidy to get rent or whatever, you, you have to have a private body looking after it because if the government gets into it, landlords are going to say, well, you're getting X number of dollars. You know, uh, this apartment I was normally asking, you know, $200 for it, but you're getting 500 from the government. How so would they know that? 500 a month. How would they know that? In, 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 in my admittedly kind of fuzzy system right now, the landlord would have no way of knowing what, what, what you got the money from. They don't know. Well, they'd find out. I, how, I, how would you find out? If somebody came to my door as a landlord and... Uh, well, chances are that people go to them and they say, well, I, 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 I'm only, you know, the government's only giving me 500. That's all I can afford. Well, then they're pretty stupid to say that, aren't they? You know, like, uh, unfortunately, companies and people out there take advantage of things as soon as they know the government's involved. But, well, and, and I don't I don't dispute perhaps a civilian body would be a better way to do it, but I would dispute that, that, that uh, ipso facto, the, uh, everybody's automatically going to know that, oh, my goodness, you, you, you're getting subsidy. I, don't, I think there are lots of ways you can ensure that didn't happen. The idea that Greg came up with, the guaranteed uh, annual income idea is is always touted as one of those ways to to end the stigmatization of 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 any of these kinds of supports and certainly his point that it would cut uh, a lot of the administrative things out of a lot of the the programs both federally and provincially that are there is something that should be considered i mean but uh, the powers that be in 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 federally certainly in in this country and 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 in most cases in the provinces there's never been a serious consideration I, I, of I, a guaranteed annual I, income i am not in support of a guaranteed annual income because i don't think anyone has a, a given right to someone else's earnings for for just no reason at all. Now you don't, but uh, most Canadians do. Well, I mean, okay. it, it I'm not here to express their point of view. But, but, but man, you know, <laughs> I'm here to influence it. Hopefully, manifest by our social policies. Most Canadians do believe that we should. Uh, I'm sure they do. Some and, that's, and, they, and they're hurting their country, and they're hurting the people but, that but they it, think they're helping. It I, only I, makes I'm sense if you have a bunch of if you have a bunch of homeless, dis, dis, displaced persons living in your community attachment to the society and who can clearly say well nobody cares about me so why should I care about your rules you've got uh, an anarchy an, an, an anarchy and and basically I mean it's it you know Robert I mean a lot of the where, programs where have been set there up there should and be no rules where did I say that Bill I'm going to give you a final comment here uh, the other thing too I'd like to mention is that I think there should be a system out there too where where if people cannot uh, handle their own uh, finances that there should be a system out there that will handle it for them because uh, I know someone that's in that situation that mm -hmm. they're on a disability pension and they can't uh, handle things but nobody's willing to, to do it for them and like well, and, there, and that's a problem. There is the, uh, you know, the, the guardian and trustees office, which was had, was had terrible, terrible reputation in the in the 80s. The the uh, auditor general was furious at what was happening because people's money was not being uh, used to make money for them, and, mm -hmm. and and it wasn't being invested properly, and so on. But that is certainly one option. Um, but 
But the person has to be shown legally to be incapable of making those decisions. And while people may make foolish decisions, they may not necessarily be incapable of making their own decisions. Bill, thanks for your call today. Okay, have Take a good care. day. You too, bye-bye. Two quick things about that. One is, is I spent many years working in bars, and the phenomenon of the... Uh, uh, and I just never really, I, I didn't even know a name to put on it, but it was something you saw quite frequently after the first or the 15th of the month. And especially if you went to places where you played repeatedly, you got to know the staff. And there'd be one or two or three or four or five unfortunate folks who would be in there at a table surrounded by their pals. Usually they were on some sort of disability pension or, you know, they were, they were discharged from a mental institution or something. And they'd be having a great time for the first couple of days, and then the money's all gone. Their pals, of course, disappear. And that's a kind and their of pals were drinking their money. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, th this, is, this is a thing. Like, you know, they, they, this, this, uh, in fact, I ran into a fella here, and well, I mean, that's another story. Anyway, that happens a lot. I think that's kind of what Bill's talking about, too. And I don't know how we do that, because you don't, it's very difficult to go to take that step, as you say, Marion, to say that individual, not only are those foolish moves, but they're really, you're really not up to doing it at all. And yet there are a lot of situations where you stand back, and we used to see it with some regularity, and you think, there's got to be some way, there's got to be somebody who could intercede here and say, you know, you really, you, you just, not only shouldn't you be doing it, but you can't do it. We, we, you've got to budget your money. You've got to, because you've got to look after yourself, not these barflies who are, you know, they're gone the minute your money's gone. Well, it's so exploitive of, of oh, people terrible, who are unable but to But I don't know how we do that. But the other point I wanted to make was with reference to your comment about, about people who feel disenfranchised and the rules don't apply, so they're not going to live by the rules. Um, I was driving down the street the other day, down, down uh, um, York Street, and this fella crossed on a red light. Um, a very amiable-looking chap, um, kind of scruffily dressed, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But, and I'm, I'm going to judge a book by the cover a little bit, only because I've known a whole lot of guys like this guy, and they, there's a look about them. Now, you can take issue with me, folks, if you will, and I, I respect that, that I shouldn't be making this generalization. But I'll bet you $100 that if I sat down to spend an hour with that guy, I know exactly who that guy is walked across the street very amiably kind of waving and smiling at the cars paid no attention to the red light one guy stopped and honked at him and he didn't get angry just kind of like oh yeah yeah like get with it and I, I thought as he walked across the road one of two things is happening here either this guy kind of feels as though as you said Marion that that he's not part of this system he's disenfranchised so the rules really rules really don't apply and he doesn't feel part of it because he hasn't found any success in his life or he hasn't found any success in his life because he's kind of always had that attitude. Well, the rules don't apply to me. Chicken and egg timing. Really, it is. Though. And, I, and I'm sitting there, and I said, it, I said to my wife, and I you know, just gave her the little thumbnail, same as I've given you. And she said the same thing. She said, well, which came first? Which is it? And we don't know. No. But there is an assumption out there among some people that it's always the former that these people have always been victimized and ergo they don't play by the rules because they feel disenfranchised. And you sometimes wonder, well, how many of them disenfranchised themselves? And there's no that's, way to know. That's kind of almost an, an elitist opinion if you think about it. I think if you're asking yourself a question, is the person like this or is he like this, if you're going to give him any dignity at all, assume that he's made a choice. Assume that how he is is how he wants to be. If you assume otherwise, then you're saying this person's out of control. You've immediately lowered them on the moral ladder and on the, and on the socioeconomic except ladder the, except, in your own mind. Except, Robert, that uh, with the greatest of respect, in the real world, those people are out there 
who do feel oppressed by, by absolutely. I'm not saying they don't, they aren't there, and I'm not saying that there aren't people that you might regard as as uh, of a lower class because they m- just might be lower class. I mean, the classes exist. Like you can't ignore them. They're not. No, but like to me, it's not, not an issue of class, though. It's an issue of how do you respond to your environment? How effective are you at dealing with the realities of your environment? If we really look at the at well, at, at, at at large numbers of these folks, and there have been a lot of uh, studies done, a lot of 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 folks um, uh, do adopt that attitude because it's their way of getting control over their environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They may have they may have not had control in any other part of their life well, for various reasons. Well, this guy had control when he, when he was walking across Absolutely. the road. He stopped the traffic. And he felt great. Yeah. And probably his best feeling all day. Yeah. And, I mean, I would, I, would, I would sort of agree with, with Robert that that becomes a choice after a while because you know what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Just like having a drink feels good to the alcoholic, gambling, you know, yeah. it becomes addictive behavior because you get a bit of a rush. Yeah when you don't have that any place else in your life. Mm-hmm. We've got Gord waiting to join us. Good morning, Gord. Hi, how are you, sir? Fine, thank you. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, okay, I'm just a sort of uh, part-time employee, and, you know, just sort of making ends meet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. To me, it's part of it is don't put up barriers to finding uh, housing. Mm-hmm. I, and, like, I can understand, like, I've made a lot of friends with a lot of the landlords I've had. Yes. And I understand what they go through. They just want, you know, they want protection of their property and their investment. I understand that. Like, it's like... Uh, I can understand, like, first and last, it's difficult, but I can understand it. What I don't understand is why you have to give two months' notice. Because you look at most of the ads, they say available next month or available immediately, not two months from now. So either I have to eat that last month's rent or i got to give my notice and hope within a month that there's enough ads in the paper the places I want. It's sort of like uh, if they sometimes it's just the little things that makes it a little easier. You know, that's a very interesting point, Gordon. I don't think anybody's ever raised that before, and I don't believe I've ever considered that before either, but you're right. That it, 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 it would create a problem if you, were, you wanted to move but didn't have the other place set up and ready two months from when you give your notice. You're quite right. I don't know what the answer is to that. Maybe my guests have a thought on that. Well, again, it's, when you enter into the contract, that's part of the yeah, deal. That's and some contract. people that's have. Law. Well, I have no choice. It's an assumed part of the contract. That you you could override it in a contract. No, I don't believe you, you can. I don't believe you. I, oh, you can't. I don't believe, and I, I, I perhaps the former attorney general can correct me on this. I don't believe you can waive a legal right. Can you? I mean, sort of like marriage. Well, no. Mm-hmm. I think I think, for example, if 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 this landlord that you were a friend of knew that you had a place, and they also knew that they had someone who was ready to take over your apartment. Most landlords would say, "Great, yeah. let's wave the let's oh, wave the notice." Yeah, yeah but, but but I'm saying if if you even if you signed an agreement and said this part of the Landlord and Tenant Act, oh, I no. I agree, doesn't apply. No, you, can't you can't do that. You can't do you that. Can't do that. No, no, you can't do that. And and it really, uh, yeah, I think there are times when that makes it difficult for the tenant. But on the other hand, I know lots of tenants who uh, are are only protected because the landlord can't kick them out without uh, two months' notice. Mm-hmm. So it does cut both ways. And I think uh, you know I think it is uh, a, a real issue. Um, for for people, particularly when you're looking at uh, a situation where it is so difficult to get that first and last month's rent together. That uh, was identified by Ann Golden as one of the most difficult things uh, like, for people in I can understand that. Like I say, I, I, I try to look at things at both, you know, both sides, kind of. And like, and I've, like I said, I made friends with some landlords. Sure. I understand some of their horror stories. Sure. I understand the first and last. It sort of protects their mm-hmm. investment in case somebody 
somebody absconds or there's damage or whatever. But then on both, but then to have it weighted on both ends of the, you know, when you move in and then when you move out. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a very good point, you know, Gordon. Obviously, one that hasn't been addressed enough. Yeah, I think if you just make rules that both, instead of having it, okay. Uh, well, I agree with you. That, it's that, oh, weighted in the, in the tenant's favor or the landlord's favor. They could have it so both the landlords and tenants could live could live together with or with the rules, you know, sort compromise a bit or something like that. But uh, the, uh, there there is one element here though. Agreement. No, but there's one element here that you that maybe we're missing. Now, as you're saying that you look for the ads and they say ready at the end of the month, but how long has that apartment been empty? Maybe that apartment's been empty for two months. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know that. Well, I know, but then when I was looking for for a place, yeah. it's like, well, can you wait like two months? Oh no, like well, if you. If you don't want it right away, I can run it to somebody who wants right, it. Right? Right, yeah. You know, so you're out, out of that apartment. Yeah, I see Unless point. you eat last month's rent. Mm -hmm. Gordon, appreciate the call. No problem, Thank sir. you, sir. Bye-bye. I agree with Gordon in terms of it shouldn't be an imposed condition on a contract. You know, there, there's, there's standard contracts that every real estate company or landlord or property owner could have in place that had those terms in them or had them not in it. It should be a choice. Well, I don't agree be with you because, uh, you know, when, when you're in a situation such as Gord uh, describes and he's, he's made friends with his landlord, he's not being taken advantage of by his landlord and he's sensitive to his landlord's needs, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's one situation and there are lots of people like that. Uh, there are lots of good landlords and there are lots of good tenants and they get along well and that's fine. The rules are made because that isn't the general situation when we look at the huge backlog of cases at the landlord tenant review commission and that sort of thing there are many cases in which tenants take advantage of landlords and landlords need that protection of the two months notice mm -hmm. and vice versa where well if where, they need where, it then they would put it in their contract on their own but how do you know when you sign the contract well, I wonder, but i wonder do we need the two what would be wrong with one month <laughs> on both on both ends of the equation Sorry? If you said, what would be wrong with one month on both of the equation, on both ends of the equation, for example? Well, nothing would be wrong with it. It's, the issue is not what's the best deal. Every person should be able to pick their best deal. The government shouldn't be in there saying, these are your conditions, whether you want to do it uh, this way Bob, or that way. Bobby, Bobby, uh, that's okay. So. That's and if okay the government wants to warn people and say, look at this group of landlords, don't want, they want three months notice. Yeah. So stay away from them if you're worried about that. That's how you do it. We have to pause for a moment. We'll be back. More on left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Marion Boyd. Doing it again, folks. I promise I wouldn't anymore today. I'm yelling only this time I'm off the air, but I'm not yelling at either of my friends. It's just one of those days here. Uh, and Fred's up next. Hi, Fred. Yeah, Jim. Yes, sir. I rented an apartment to a lady one time, and I and she had problems, and and I helped her every way I possibly could, you know. Yep. And I got her in there. She was there for three or four months, and London Housing. She had a thing in on the housing, you know, like she was on a list. Yes. They told her to move out right now. No no notice, no nothing. She had to take it right then. So my recourse was zilch. That's the same thing that happens to a lot of private landlords when you get the government into public housing. They want to fill up their public housing, even though the private sector is doing the job quite adequately. They don't care whether there's a supply and demand. They didn't care yeah. about nothing. I even nope. phoned them and I, and I didn't get nowhere with them. They know she's taking it right now and, and, and I was out in the cold. Well, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating, Fred, because I, I having canvassed lots of public housing buildings, I know how many of those apartments are empty over a fair period of time, mm -hmm. even though there are 1,500 to 2,000 people on the waiting list. Mm -hmm. um, when you go through those buildings, there are lots of vacant apartments Why are they vacant? from time to time. I don't know the answer to that. I'd like to know the answer mm -hmm. to that. And so, you know, making not, not giving you the same notice 
that any other uh, tenant would have to give makes uh, makes me really shake my head as well. I don't understand that. I think I think the rules should apply both ways, and and uh, it it just seems absolutely silly to me that you should be out the money because the person was moving into public housing, not into a into another apartment. It just doesn't make any sense to me. No, well, it, it sure didn't to me either. You know. But anyway, I thought I'd give you my two cents. Appreciate it, Fred. Thanks, Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. Bob Metz and Marion Boyd with us today on Left, Right, and Center talking about uh, housing and uh, and how we help people that are in need. Have we, have we resolved anything? Has anybody changed their you know, opinion? Or? I was just thinking of even the bigger picture with public housing and how it distorts the whole economy and how everybody, even in their homes, ends up paying for it. Well, of course like, we do. Like, but, like, but very indirectly, we, we pay in so many ways. Like, if, if the government's using up all the trade professions, for example, building public housing, that puts more, more stress on the private no, market. No, no, no. Because the market's not that big. The market well, for public housing isn't the, that big. It's not an issue of whether economic conditions are good or bad in a given instant. The principle applies the same. You're just putting the pressure no, no. on in the, the wrong principle place. Only if, oh, no, in no, fact, no, no, if no. what you say is true, then there's no necessity for public housing. The principle housing. only applies in a world where, as you say, we don't live in this world where wealth is finite, where, we're finite, right. where resources are finite. Uh, the resources of the construction trades, for example, are not finite. They are infinite. There are all sorts of people out there who, when times are good in the construction Over a business, period of time, yes. Go, well, t today, And then tomorrow. when the public housing stops and you have an oversupply. Then you're right where you right. are right now today which right. is which has been talking people construction industry that's been the nature of the industry since its beginning and private industry has not been willing to get into the low-cost housing area but you can't blame them because they can't a they can't make any money that's out right. and b they know the government's so, going to well, screw so them so our, our only our only possibility they, they is been. letting people be be homeless or else intervene and and actually create housing but that's where i come back to i don't think we need to create it it's out there and you said before there's lots of empty units i think in, in there those are. Units. i think we we have to set up some kind of system whereby people who are genuinely in need and need assistance to buy to to to, to buy it to to buy into housing at market rates we assist them to do that everybody's happy nobody's on the street and i uh, my guess is my my gut feeling is we'd probably spend a lot less money doing that than what we've spent well, over the last certainly what years. ann golden said and 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 incidentally the current conservative government said that was what they were going to do that was one of their commitments when they got into government in 1995 and they have done nothing on yeah, it they've said a lot of things they haven't done but that's perhaps an issue for another day this has been uh oh okay we got some stan i can give you about 30 seconds Hi, how are you, Jim? Yeah, go ahead, Stan. Literally, only 30 seconds. Okay, just a quick story. Uh, some people moved in. Um, I'm a landlord. They ended up uh, suing me through this renter's tribunal, or whatever you call it. I go there. They don't even bother showing up. I win the case, and I said, well, they should not be allowed to sue any other landlord until they pay me my time. And the renter's tribunal says, oh, no, that's not how they work. They can sue any time they want. That's a bunch of malarkey as far as I'm concerned. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. We are literally out of time. Sorry to cut Stan off, but I told him we had 30 seconds. Marion and Robert, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks, nice Jim. See you, Jim. Look forward to seeing both of you Thanks, again Marianne. soon, and we hope you'll join Thanks, us tomorrow Robert. on the next edition of uh, Talk of the Town. Tomorrow we've got Treasures in the Attic, which is fun. We've got a whole bunch of things going, including maybe an interview with Pat O'Brien on this subject of, of uh, affordable housing. i got a whole bunch of stuff. Sarah and Ryan are just working like crazy. This is the other Ryan. The other Ryan. How many Ryans do we have, Jerry? Help me on this. There's two, right? There's in-studio Ryan and there's research Ryan. Well, research Ryan and Sarah are working <laughs> on tomorrow. Join us tomorrow. I don't know what I'm talking about. We'll all find out together tomorrow on the next edition of Talk of the Town. For uh, Marion and for Bob and for Jerry and for Sarah and for research Ryan and for Kathleen and other Ryan who are holidaying wherever they are. Have you heard from either of them, Jerry?
<laughs> We're not likely to either, are we? No, until they're back. Anyway, it's Jim saying, please take care of each other. Mind how you go. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon. And don't forget, ask the experts to stay with Bud Bullhead. One half hour.